Well, good morning. If you've got uh, your Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 and find verse 9, which Robin just uh, read for us. And I'm uh, thinking that maybe I need to just sit down and ask Robin to come pray for another 30 minutes, potentially. That was very sweet. Thank you, Robin, for doing that. Uh, last week, we started a series in the book of Colossians, and so we'll continue in chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And so uh, if you are uh, new here, I want to introduce myself. My name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here at Citizens Church. And we started uh, this series in the book of Colossians last uh, week. And really what we said was that we are on the other side of this long season of uh, transition and long season of change, and now we are Citizens Church. And so we're going to be in this book uh, for a number of reasons, but one of which is because uh, this book is written to a people who live in a city in a climate that's very similar to the one that we live in, very diverse, uh, and all kinds of competing gospels that are out there. Uh, and we heard the story of how this church came to be last week, that God uh, sent through an ordinary man uh, this gospel message to plant a church, and that that church, even in all the pressures, is being commended by Paul here uh, to uh, to press on, to not pull away from Jesus, but to be steadfast in their love for Jesus. And so as a church in this unique season that we're at, as we're uh, just a young people trying to be faithful, what we want is we want to be citizens of King Jesus, citizens of uh, the kingdom of God. And we want that to be reflected in our hearts and in our homes and in our jobs and in our world in such a way that we are putting uh, the beauty of Jesus on uh, display so that the kingdom that uh, is to come is already in and through us. And that's the prayer. And so um, last week, really, what Paul did was he thanked God for what is already true about this church. I thank you that you have a love for one another, and I thank you that you have a hope that's laid up in heaven, and you believe this gospel. And so it turns in verse 9, and what he tells them in verse 9, uh, as he's continuing to admonish them to live uh, their life in Christ. He's going to tell them what he's been praying for them. And so I don't know if you, if you paid attention to this when Robin was uh, reading it, but what he says is, since I've heard, I've been doing something that I haven't stopped doing. And what is it? I've been praying. Now, if I were to tell you that there was somebody who has prayed for you every day since you became a believer in Jesus, one, that'd probably be very encouraging to you. Two, you'd probably want to know what they're saying, right? Like, what are you asking God for when you pray? Or even if somebody just texts you randomly and says, hey, for the last month, I've just prayed for you every single day, right? It's going to be important to you what they're asking God for on your behalf. This church finds out that Paul hears about their story, and since he heard about their story, he's been praying for them. Uh, so Paul, who writes books of the Bible, has been praying, and their ears probably perk up just a bit as they're hearing this, and Paul's going to tell them what he's been praying, and here's what he's praying for them. Just but before we go verse by verse, what he's praying is he is praying that they would live a meaningful life in Jesus, that they would live lives of meaning and mattering where they are. Here's where I get that. When he writes, he, he writes uh, that they may be filled, but not just filled, but with all spiritual wisdom, that they might be fully pleasing, increasing in knowledge of God with all power and all endurance. So if, 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 if you read through it, uh, he's not just saying, I want you to have some knowledge of God. He says, I want you to be filled with all knowledge of God. He doesn't just say, I want you to live a decent life. He says, I want you to live a life fully 
pleasing to Jesus. Uh, I don't want you to just have some spiritual wisdom. I want you to have all of it, not just some power, but all power, not just some endurance, but all endurance and patience with joy. And so there's, there's, there's a couple of things that he's asking. He's saying, I want you to be filled and live this full, meaningful life. Uh, and then in that, he's saying, you're not there yet. Uh, I want you to increase. I want you to be filled, meaning you've got, you've got more to do. There's just more to go in this. There's no coasting when it comes to life with Jesus. And so I want you to live a meaningful life and to be moving towards deeper and deeper meaning. Another way to say it is, I don't want you to miss out on the life that is yours in Jesus. I don't want you to squander this. So uh, let me make a case for something here. What he's laying out, at least just at its foundational level, what he's laying out in, in praying that they live a meaningful life, to live a life that matters, is something that every single human heart desires. Uh, a room full of Christians like this one or a room full of people who believe very differently than this room believes has a desire to live a life of meaning. We could put it another way. Uh, every single room like this one uh, is afraid uh, of a living, a wasted life, like the thought that I could look back on the years I had and realize I wasted the time I was given is a haunting thought for everybody. It's a haunting thought. My dad pastors a, a, a church, a wonderful church uh, out in West Texas, and many of the members of his church are older. The, the makeup of his church in a lot of ways is very different than the makeup of, of our church. And so uh, a lot of his uh, a lot of people in his church, a lot of people in, in their church family are older, and so he does a lot of uh, end-of-life hospital visits, uh, and he officiates a lot of funerals. Uh, and so obviously we are a different makeup than that. We do a lot of hospital visits, uh, myself and the other elders and staff, but they're just very different. We don't do a lot of hospital visits for people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s facing uh, end of life. I was on staff with my dad at his church before coming on staff at uh, the village, uh, what was almost seven years ago. And so I would go with him on many of these hospital visits, loved being with him, and then really just loved watching him pastor people in that space. And so here's, here's my observation from those moments. There really are only two different deathbeds. There's really only two different experiences that you have at the bedside of someone who is uh, inching out of life and, and into, into death. And it's this. There is the life that has regret over what life has been, a life filled with regret over what has been or over what hasn't been. And then there is the life that is content with the days that God gave them, leaning into grace for failures for sure, but mostly just eager to see and celebrate Jesus face to face. Now, it's not maybe always that clean, but generally it's uh, I'm not ready because I'm not content with the way I live or the life I've lived or I have lived well and I can go on to what's next. Now, that's true. I've never, I've never walked away and thought, man, I hope when it's my time, I'm hope, I hope I'm on the side of regret. Never thought that. Which do you want to be when your time comes? Well, I think what we'd all say is we'd all say we want to be the one who rests in having lived a meaningful life, right? That's all of us. It is a basic human desire. Even those who do not believe in God, even people who think, okay, there is no God, he doesn't exist, we came from nothing, this all amounts to nothing, it ends in nothing, after this there is nothing. So what do we do? Well, uh, help the poor, 
fight injustice, fight for equality. Well, why? If it doesn't matter, then none of that matters. Because what you can't shake, even if you don't believe there's anything before this or anything after this, what you cannot shake, regardless of what you believe, is that you want to live in such a way that this at least feels meaningful. And that is what Paul's touching on here in his prayer is just deeply connected with this intrinsic desire we all have to live life that matters because ultimately that desire is placed there by God. And so he's saying move into fullness. Live a life that is filled with all of these things that's moving into meaning. And he's going to tell us what that looks like. But before we see Paul paint that picture, what I want to do is I want to just acknowledge the answer to that question, what makes life meaningful? How do I know that it matters? I want to acknowledge the answer that we are living in just with where we are culturally. The answers maybe that are swirling around us in the West in 2019 in Collin County. Let me at least take a stab at it. Carrie and I, uh, I don't know, six months ago or so, we were uh, watching TV and I'm doing something we usually don't do. I'm kind of scrolling through the TV guide looking for something to watch. And that's usually not how we consume our TV. Usually we're in the middle of a show and we'll watch one or two episodes and then call it quit. Well, what, four or five episodes and then we'll call it quit, right? Uh, and, and for whatever reason, I guess we were in between shows or something like that. And so I'm scrolling and I see uh, the, uh, the Billboard Music Awards are on. And I thought, that's sounds edifying. And so I clicked on it and uh, watched it and, and somebody had just performed, I don't remember who, and then uh, Jennifer Hudson walks out on stage and, and she talks about how she gets the privilege to announce this year's Icon Award. And the Icon Award is this award that goes to uh, some musician for like a lifetime's worth of achievement in the music industry. And she said, this year's Icon Award is Mariah Carey. And so Mariah walks out and she thanks people and does her recognitions. And then she begins her speech by saying this, and it just stuck with me. I started making music to survive out of a necessity. I needed, hear this, I needed to create something that would make me feel worthy of existing. And, and that really kind of sums up the answer to the question out there of how do I know I'm living a life that matters? And I'm not being critical of Mariah Carey here. I, 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 she's super gifted. A few of her songs for sure helped me get through 10th grade back in the day. And so I, <laughs> I'm a fan. I, I bring that up to say I, I think that she simply is offering an honest view of how many of us live. An honest view of how we, like, I need to create something right? I need to do something. I need to go somewhere. I need to accomplish in such a way that I can look at what I've done, look at where I've gone, look at what I've accomplished, and I can feel uh, that my existence, my very existence is substantiated, validated, that I matter. And how do I know that I matter? Because I was able to create that meaning. And so uh, for most, like, like the, the assumption is, as I am, I'm not worthy of existing. And maybe you wouldn't say that out loud. And maybe if asked the question, you would know the right answer to give. But if we could just be honest. So much of what drives our doing and so much of what drives our, uh, our uh, dreaming is this feeling of unworthiness and the belief attached to that feeling that I can create something that's worthy of existing. And by something, we mean I can become someone that is worthy of existing. I can give a defense for why it matters that I'm here. 
And so for most of us, it's probably not music. For, for maybe for some of you it is, but, but it's trying to identify, like, where am I gifted? So if I'm smart, I'll use my intelligence. If I'm attractive, I'll use my looks. If uh, I've, I've got a, a good personality, I'll use my uh, humor, and I'll be a people person, and I will use those strengths to get ahead in my job and to exist there, and I will use those strengths to, to get ahead in my home or be in my home who I want to be or to get into the circle of friends that I want to get into in an attempt to create a life and to be a person in that life that feels like, This is worth it, and I'm worth it in this, which means the answer to the question of what it takes or what it looks like to live a meaningful life is that you create it. You create that life, which means where are you going to go for that? You're going to go inside. You're going to look to yourself to create that meaning, and and I don't think this will be hard for us to agree on together. It's just really not working for us as a culture. Uh, If my solution to my own problem of meaningless is me, then I will always live this life feeling the, the weight of what I've not done or feeling the weight of who I, I, I'm not. And then transfer that weight onto those around us and compare our lives to the lives of those around us. And what always happens then is we fill in what we don't know about other people's lives in ways that are either uncharitable to us or uncharitable to them. And and, and the critique against like our society in the West right now, what we'll talk about as we move throughout this book, considering what it has to say to where we are in this time in history, uh, the critique, not even the critique, the observation is that the West is growing more technologically advanced. The West is growing more economically advanced, but the people in the West are regressing emotionally and relationally. Does that not instantly resonate as true? If it doesn't, you're never on social media, right? In all of our achieving, in all of our advancement, we are not becoming a people growing in kindness or growing in empathy or growing in compassion or growing in understanding. Why? Partly because our sense of meaning and mattering and worth is just so fragile. So fragile. Here's the good news. It's not true. The answer to the question that circles around us is the wrong answer to the question. Like uh, the path to the life of meaning and mattering is not looking inside yourself. That's not where Paul goes. What he's going to do is he's going to lay out these four aspects to this prayer that he's praying, these four parts that contribute to living this full and meaningful life. And I want to draw those out, but not just draw them out. I want to draw them out and contrast them to the answer that's kind of swirling around us about how to live that meaningful life. And so here they are. The life that's being filled, that's meaningful, it's not being known, it's knowing God. It's not what you do, it's who you become. It's not from you, it's from God. It's not for acceptance, it's from acceptance. Look at verse 9 with me. And so from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's not being known, it's who you know. It's not being known, it's knowing God. So in in a world where fame and followers are synonymous with 
value. Paul says that life is full. The life that's full is the life that knows God, not is known by people. Jesus made this point before Paul did. Uh, He tells a story where these guys come up to him and say, hey, we cast out demons in your name and we perform mighty miracles in your name. Haven't you heard of us? Everybody else has. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. The life that is meaningful is the life that knows God, namely that knows God through Jesus. And if that's true, we need to know the levels of what it means to know God because there is a a level that maybe we all understand that knowing God means having the right information about him. And that's true. You cannot know someone that you don't know. If after uh, services this morning, if we're in the foyer together and you and I are talking and someone walks up to us and I point to you and I say, hey, this is my friend and I'm talking about you. And I say, look, I've known them for a long time. They're from uh, Chicago originally. They've been married for eight years. They've got three kids and they're a teacher. And you stop me and you're like, hey, this is awkward. Um, I've actually never left Texas. I'm single. I have a dog and I work at Toyota. First of all, that is my worst nightmare. And I'm sorry if that's ever actually happened. Second of all, you're not going to leave that conversation and say, you know what about Jamin? He knows me, right? That's not going to be your conclusion because the part of knowing someone is having the right information. It's that feeling when someone's talking to you and you're in this long conversation and they keep calling you by the wrong name, right? You just, if you get that wrong, it's just hard to feel close. And so with God, when it comes to God being right about him, having the right information about who he is and what he's done is so important, especially in a day and age where it's really common to believe in my self-construction of who God is. I like to view God this way, or I like to think of God this way, or God would never do this kind of thing. And so for Christians, the beginning place of knowing God is knowing how he's revealed himself in his word and knowing the right information about who he is. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, The word knowledge throughout the Old Testament and the way Paul's using it here is not just right information. It's also right relational response to what you know. Uh, We can... Uh, get some help from a guy named Francis Bacon. He was a philosopher and a scientist. He lived in England in the late 1500s. Uh, and he talked about truth. And he talked about the, the relationship that people have to truth. So he says, when, when you have a question about something, when you're inquiring about something, what that is, is that is truth wooing you. That is truth trying to draw you to itself. He said, when you know something, when you have knowledge, the way that we think about that word, that is truth's presence. You have the facts and you have the information and truth is present. He said, but belief, there is a, a, a more foundational level of knowing and it's belief. And belief is not truth wooing you. It's not truth present with you. Belief is truth enjoyed. Meaning you not only know, but you know in such a way that it's changed you. You enjoy it. And so we could ask the question this way, do you know God? And what we mean is, do you know the right things about God? Do you agree with what the Bible says about God? Not only that, do you know God meaning, do you enjoy what you know about God? Has it brought you in relationally? The best way I know to to think about it as as I'm trying to make sense of it myself is is the way that I know my kids. Carrie and I know our kids better than, than anyone else knows them. And part of that is because we know the right information about them. If you were to come to me and you were to say about my six-year-old, hey, uh, she's pretty shy and she never speaks her mind and she's never said anything that made you pray harder. I'm like, no, 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 that's not Addie, right? She's the opposite of all those things. She says what she thinks whenever she thinks it and there's things that have come out of her mouth. That... So um, 
<laughs> but if we were to sit down and have a conversation about Addie, I would not have that conversation just sharing facts with you about her. I would talk about her as someone who enjoys what I know about her. You know why? Because we're in relationship together, a very intimate relationship together. And, and so this is what you were made for, to know God and to know God in this way. And do you know him? And maybe your response is a little. There's a lot that I still have to learn. And there's some things that I need to grow in. Hear me, great. And guess what? As you do, as you gain knowledge, and as that knowledge is something that brings you in closer that you enjoy, you know what's happening? You're living a very meaningful life as you do that. Look, here's the point. Um, there are countless people who are unknown by the world and unseen by the world, living great lives of meaning because they know and are known by God. If this is true, if this is true, that has to factor into our day. If you're like me, you wake up in any given day and you think through a long list of I have tos, right? I have to get this done. I have to call this person back. I have to have this conversation. I have to manage this situation well. Is one of the I have tos in your day, I have to learn about God. I have to grow in my knowledge and enjoyment of God. And you know what's true, my friend? The day where your task list is untouched by you, but you grew in knowledge of God, that's a special day. That's a day that matters. Do you see the, the shift that has to happen? Not from being known by all that we do and all that we're involved in, but knowing God. Also, what we saw is it's not what you do, but it's who you become. We can make this point by offering some clarity around an idea that we read about that's really familiar with us. And the idea is the will of God. So he says in the passage, he wants you to uh, be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you've ever spent time in Christian circles, you've heard that phrase, I'm praying for God's will in this situation. I'm trying to discern God's will for my life. And most often what we mean by that is I've got a decision to make. There's something that I'm trying to discern about my circumstances. I'm at a fork in the road and I want to do what God wants me to do. And, and hear me, that is the unknown part of God's will. That's why you're trying to discern it. And that's important. And God cares throughout, most often even, when the will of God is described as Paul's using it here. He's not talking about what's unknown in our circumstances. He's talking about what is known about who God wants us to become, to walk in a manner fully pleasing, to uh, bear fruit and to increase in knowledge of God. That's character language, meaning uh, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Represent Jesus in your life, to the people in your life. So you think be attitudes, you think the fruits of the Spirit, it's becoming more merciful, it's becoming more self-controlled, it's becoming more loving. What is first and foremost meant by the will of God is the known parts of God's will, what we know to be true. It's not about making right decisions in our circumstances first and foremost. It is about becoming like Christ in our character. It's not what you do it's who you become. 
I think maybe one of the reasons why we camp out on the unknown aspects of God's will is because we believe that meaning is found in us progressing the way we want to progress through the seasons in our life. Like uh, we just naturally measure meaning and value by looking and saying, okay, the season I'm in, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. Am I making decisions in such a way that it's going to propel me into the next season and the next season is better, it's more profitable, it's more comfortable, it's more rewarding than the season I'm currently in. And that's how we measure life. That's how we think through the timeline of our life. Am I trending towards entering into the kind of life that I'm gonna be proud of, that I want to have, And usually what we mean by that are the details of that life, the circumstances of that life. And so what's really confusing is if you're a Christian and you're in a season where there's just no movement and no progress, like uh, I've been in the same job for years and there's just, and I feel stuck in middle management. Uh, I've been single for years and I just feel no closer to marriage. Uh, I have been in this season of raising kids, and yes, it's going by really fast, but the days feel really long and redundant. And maybe I'm in this place of no movement, watching those around me move on ahead of me in life, and so I'm having a value crisis. Will I go on to do anything worthwhile? Will I amount to more, right, than what I currently am? And here's the good news. Whether you live a meaningful life or not is just not tied to any of that. It's just not tied to any of that. For the Christian, it is not about progress. Hear me. It's about purity. It's not about moving from these circumstances into the next one. It's am I becoming more like Jesus in whatever circumstances I'm in? Look, that's the will of God for your life. The will of God for your life is, is who you would become. And those are, uh, those are virtue. Those are character questions. When we have conversations about obeying God's will, when we have those conversations, we have to start with what is known. We could think of it like this. Uh, I'm trying to fight for clarity. Let's say that you're engaged. Think back to when you were engaged. Let's say that you're engaged now, and you're asking the question, what is God's will for our wedding? Uh, what's unclear about that? A lot of the decisions about it. Like, what's God's will? Should it be an evening wedding or an afternoon wedding? Uh, for the ceremony, should we do a unity candle or should we do the, the sand thing? Is it called unity sand? Should we, should we do that? So should we write our own vows or should we do like the, the traditional vows? Uh, for, for the reception, do we have a dinner? Should we have a dance? I mean, you know how your grandma feels about that, right? And so it's these kinds of questions that are all unknown. What's God's will for those? I don't know. Some of that's really hard to discern. I think God cares, but it's unknown. You know what's clearly the will of God for your wedding? What you don't have to ask about which you don't even have to second guess, uh, that on that day, what the will of God is, is that you be the kind of man that by God's grace makes a promise that he plans to keep. It's God's will. That you be the kind of woman that by God's grace makes a promise that she plans to keep. That together you have the kind of love and you share the kind of love in this beautiful story that tells the beautiful story of love of Jesus and his church. That is the clear will of God that's revealed. And we start with what's known. Like, listen, if we pay all the attention to the unknown at the neglect of what is known, you may have an awesome wedding. You're going to have a really challenging marriage. Really challenging marriage. Look, are you following me? Obeying the known will of God 
is the path to the meaningful life. Let me try again. If you're in this room and you're wrestling over a job change, God, what do I do? What do you want me to do? It's a great question. It's a great prayer to pray. There is a question you need to ask before that question. God, am I becoming who you want me to become? Walking in holiness and walking in character. Are you dealing with me, God, over my anger? Are you dealing with me, God, over my lust? Am I becoming, as I get older, am I becoming more merciful? As I get older, am I becoming more uh, charitable to those around me? Because if the answer's no, it will not matter if you get the job decision right. It won't matter. Look, if you go from neglecting what is known about God's will and who he wants you to become in this season and carry that into the next season, it just won't matter how well you navigated the what should I do, God, if we're neglecting the way that he's answered that question of what we should have had been doing in that season. And listen, listen, what that also means, it means you could work the same job for 40 years at the same pay, never taking a step anywhere, and you can make a huge splash in this world if in those 40 years you're growing in knowledge of God, growing in character of Christ, bearing fruit in every good work, because meaning is not in what you do, it's in who you become. We know that to pay attention to any eulogy that you hear that you hope to be true of your life, and you know that's true. It's also not from you, it's from God. It's not being known, it's knowing God. It's not what you do, it's who you become. It's not from you, it's from God. Look with me at verse 11 being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all, hear these words, for all endurance and patience with joy. Uh, What will you need to live this kind of life? Endurance and patience. Praise God for those verses. Like um, the life of meaning, knowing God, becoming who he wants you to become, you know what that is? It's difficult. It's challenging. It's frustrating. Well, it doesn't say that. Well, here's what it says you'll need. You'll need endurance and you'll need patience. What, what are the kinds of things you have to endure? Things that are difficult. You don't have to endure a vacation. Well, it's a bad example. Uh, you, you don't have to endure a spa day, right? You don't have to, you don't need endurance and patience for that bucket list trip, right? There, everything goes well. You need endurance and patience for things that are difficult. And what Paul is saying, here's the life of fullness and meaning that I want you to live, that I hope that you live, uh, that, that in Jesus I hope you're after. And guess what? It's a painful life. It's a challenging life. You'll need endurance and patience for it. And just as an observation, is it not true though? That that which requires endurance and patience, those are the very things that actually shape you. Uh, I have seldom, in my years of ministry or just of life, I've seldom heard anyone say, you know that easy season? Like that time where everything kind of went my way and there was very little resistance and everyone loved me. You know, that season really changed me. That season really made me who I am today. I've, never, I've heard plenty of people long for that season. And you know what? I pray that season is right around the corner for you and for me. But very few point to that season and say, that's what forged character in me. That's what, that's what helped to transform me. And, and if, we, if we just have a family conversation, I have, <laughs> the past six weeks, really the past six months for me, have been really trying. Church, Uh, home, just things in my relationship with Jesus, things that I'm learning. And uh, I have needed endurance and I've needed patience. And, And what I'm beginning to get a glimpse of, friends, 
what I am just beginning to see is how God is at work in the difficulty to make me, and don't miss this, to make me the person I have asked him to help me become, using it. And now I would not have asked for the challenges, but since when uh, did I get to decide how a holy, infinite God answers the prayers of an imperfect, finite man? He's at work in it. What you need endurance and patience for are the very things that form us into who we want to become, who he wants us to become. It is not from you, it's from God. He says, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, the source of that meaningful life, the source of the endurance and the patience we need to be forged and shaped in in the trial, it's not us, it's from God. We're not gonna get what we need from ourselves. We will only get it from the Lord. And look, what we are enticed to think, what our hearts would deceive us even into thinking is that we have all the resources in and of ourselves. And nothing exposes that belief. Like when we look at other people living the life we think we should be able to live and we think what? What do they have that I don't? Gosh, she just has it all together and she can manage the job and the, she can manage the work. And then, gosh, he's just, he knows so much more than I do and he just navigates these things so well. And then maybe get uh, frustrated with ourselves because what seems so easy for everyone else seems so hard for me. And don't do that. You, you will shrivel under that kind of pressure. You will sh- be beaten up by shame. Look, God, I don't need more of what they have and I don't need more of what I have. God, I need more of what you have. I need more of the, what, what Paul says, the power that is according to God's glorious might. And if we are longing for those things out of our knowledge of God that we say that we have because of this meaningful life, that might that we're appealing to is rooted in the history of what God has done. God, I need power to endure and to be patient. And I'm asking for that power from the God who spoke worlds into existence. Asking for that power from the God who parts Sees, who calms seas, who comforts the afflicted, who raises the dead back to life. Look, if I, if you reach into your own bucket for what you need to live this out, you and I will always feel inadequate because of how little is there. And we will always be afraid of the day that it one day will run out. But if we are connecting our lives to the power that's in accordance with God's glorious might, we are connecting our lives to a well that just never runs dry. Resources God is always eager to extend to those who ask of him. And he says this. He says that life is marked by joy. The, the, be, the emotional bedrock of that life, not the fleeting emotions, but the emotional bedrock of that life is a life that is filled with joy because of thanksgiving. It's, it seems so counterintuitive to say the life uh, that is all of these things and all of these challenging things is gonna be a life that's filled with joy. How? Because this life is not for acceptance, it's from acceptance. In verse 12, 13, and 14, he talks about the past tense activity of God on your behalf, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you hear what God has done? 
You hear what's true about us, not because of what we do, but because of what God has done. The acceptance that we have been gifted because of God's action. You've been qualified. You weren't saints in light. You've been made saints in light. And all that's true about God's people now is true about you who now belong to God's people. You've been transferred, uh, delivered from the kingdom of darkness, transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son. So now you did belong to a kingdom that had no future. And now you are secure with Jesus in a kingdom that will never end. And then what do you have in your present redemption and forgiveness of sins in the future you're secure in the present you have freedom where will the joy come from by remembering and giving thanks to what God has done the acceptance we already have in God a year ago or so I was taking Asher to school and we were talking about his day and just talking about maybe what he was excited about for the day Uh, and he said we are running a mile in school today and, uh, and so I said, okay, tell me about that. Are you excited about that? And he said, Dad, you know, I really don't want to be first. I just don't want to be last, which is just the most roller thing anyone has ever, has ever said. Uh, and we talked about it. And I just said, hey, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not wrong to try to win, to have some ambition. You know, you can try and win if you want to. And he just said, hey, Dad, will you come, will you come watch? And, uh, and I said, sure, bud. So I dropped him off at school, came into the office for a few hours, and then drove back to his school, and I walk in. I was a bit late, and so the race had already started. Uh, he's jogging, and he's kind of in the middle of the pack where he said he wanted to be, and, and so I'm sitting there watching him. He didn't see me yet, and then all of a sudden, he kind of makes a lap, and he looks, and he sees me, and his face just changes. He was just kind of carefree, and then all of a sudden, he got super somber and serious, and he takes off. He just starts sprinting, and he's running and running and running, and he gets to the, to the head. He's in, he's, in, he's in the pack. He's at the head of the pack. He's leading, and so he's in first place. I'm excited about that, and, um, and then this kid comes and tries to catch him to pass him, and El- Asher elbows him as he's trying to pass, and I'm like, yes, no, 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 don't. Uh, he didn't learn that at home, but as I watched, the thing that I paid attention to is not the fact that he was, he was winning. I paid attention to the fact that he just looked so troubled, so I actually stopped him. Um, I just said, waved him down and said, hey, come here. And he came over and I said, man, what's, uh, what's wrong? And he's like, my side hurts. And I'm like, yeah, 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 but why don't you just stop then? Why don't you just slow down or something? And he says, dad, uh, I, I just want you to be proud of me. And I said, buddy, you know, I, I'm already proud of you. I'm, I'm proud of you. And he goes, no, 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 dad, I want to win so that you'll be proud of me. And I said, buddy, you're, you're my son. I'm already proud of, this doesn't affect that. And he tried to say something, and I just said, look, Ash, I did not come to watch you win. I came to watch you run. I just came to watch you run. And, and look, there was encouragement that needed to happen and correction that needed to happen. Like, don't elbow people. Come on, man. But <laughs> he hears that, he smiles, and then he runs and just kept running with a smile. And look, there was nothing at stake for him was the point. There's not like there's like of all that was happening, his sonship and my pride in him as my boy was not in question. And look, um, I know that the reason so many live this life with the absence of joy in the presence of distress is because we believe that what God is doing is he is watching and either waiting for us to fail or he is watching with the expectation that we would do this perfectly. And what if, what if he just loves you? What, what if he's watching and, and, and in that distress pulls you over and says, you know what you can do? You can run this with joy. 
You can. You can run this with a peace and with a confidence. And you say, no, no, God, I'm just so overwhelmed and I'm worried that I'm doing this wrong and I'm worried that I'm going to fail. And he responds. And here's where me as a dad and God as a father are vastly different. He says, listen, child, in Christ, you've already won. You've already won. You have nothing left but to live out of that freedom. And I'm here to watch you and I'm here to empower you to live out of that freedom with joy because of what's true about you in Jesus. That idea that I have to try and lay all my doing and trying before God and before those around me and hope that it's enough to be loved and to be liked is not from God and it's not from God's word. Qualified, delivered, transferred. You have a future. Your present is marked by redemption and forgiveness. You are free. You are already in a forever kingdom. And so live the meaningful life leaning into that grace. Live the meaningful life from that place of acceptance. And what happens is, is living that out from a place of acceptance reminds us to go to the God who has power because he's good to give it to us so that we can endure and so that we can live lives of meaning, not in what we do, but in who we are becoming and all along the way, growing in our knowledge of God because it is not being known, it's knowing and enjoying God. It's not what you do. It's becoming the person that is growing in Christ's likeness, which is God's will. It's not from you or from me. It's from God, and it is not for acceptance. It's from a place of acceptance and love that comes to you irrevocably through Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Look, it's, it's uh, what I'm praying for, God, uh, are, are not uh, reactions to your word that says simply that's a good reminder. What I'm praying for, God, is reactions to your word that say, I need to reorient my life around that which actually matters. Would you help us do that, God? Would you help us untangle uh, the emptiness that we so often pursue? And would you unite us to this life of fullness that you're eager to walk with us in. And I just pray, God, over us that we would just rest in following a God through a Savior who has placed acceptance and love on us and invites us to just run with joy and freedom, patience and endurance, becoming like you, Jesus, growing in our knowledge of you, God. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.